Good morning, this is Hannah Rachel Weinberg, and I'm reading a guidebook for men and women, The How and Why of Jewish Prayer by Israel Rubin. Chapter 1. Concept of Prayer. What is prayer from the Jewish perspective? Is it a conversation with God? Is it outpouring of human heart? Is it a man's quest for the divine? Is it a praise of the Almighty? Is it a petition of supplication? Is it confession, meditation, or thanksgiving? Jewish tradition maintains that there is a real God who hears the individual prayer of all mankind, rich and poor, powerful and weak. Moreover, God answers those pleas. Our tradition teaches us that there is a personal relationship between man and God. As such, prayer is all of the above and more. Essentially, prayer is a man's connection to God. Indeed, prayer is found on the premise that infinite human beings can communicate with the infinite Holy One, blessed be He. This appears to be an innate human need. On the first days of human existence in the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel sought to commune with their Creator by bringing a sacrifice. The heart trending prayer of Hana for a child is one of the most poignant moments in the Bible. That's why I'm reading this podcast, by the way, because my name is Hannah. The Midrash suggests that Israel's founding fathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, prayed daily, and the Talmud even has the gumption to suggest that God himself prays. But what role does prayer have in the framework of our connection with Hashem? While any entry to Hashem might be called prayer, prayer is much more than a cry of help. A cry for help in the midst of a crisis. Authentic prayer is marked by a sense of serenity, a calmness derived from private or communal dialogue with man's creator. And praying on a regular basis engenders in the prayer, the one doing praying, a feeling of closeness to Hashem. When approached properly, prayer is a humbling activity that reaffirms to the human mind Hashem's sovereignty over our daily lives and His ability to help, whether by alleviating suffering, sustaining us, or fulfilling our wishes. Prayer is the medium by which we acknowledge and appreciate all that He does for us. We must never take good God, take the good God does for us for granted. Our prayers always answered in human discourse. Questions generally elicit responses, but. Can such premise be transferred to the relationship between man and his maker? Of course, we would like an immediate response from Hashem to our pleadings, but this idea is naive. Surely Hashem is focused on and attentive to all prayers directed to Him, but we cannot understand the process by which Hashem receives our prayers. Hashem listens to our supplications and pleas, decides what is really best for us, and acts accordingly. We must therefore bless and offer thanks to Hashem regardless of whether our petition has been granted. A person has been, could have been praying for years for what he wants and doesn't understand why it hasn't happened yet, but God has his own way of fulfilling our wishes. Of course, this approach to prayer leads to the obvious question. If Hashem acts on his own initiative and, does, and not as a response to our prayers, why bother praying? Why beseech Hashem with solemn supplications if such entries have little chance of eliciting a response? Plainly, there are other aspects of prayer besides requests. Prayer is an act of introspection, of self-scrutiny. It's a wish to it's a wish to to search for Hashem, to be close to Him, to offer thanks, and to commune with the source of all life. 
basis of prayer and definition. Man must take the initiative and come close to Hashem. This is not to suggest that man can actually engage God in conversation. Of the numerous activities of man's daily life, prayer is one of the most uplifting. Jewish prayer, tefillah, tefillos, has existed from the ancient times in Jewish life, but has taken on a greater meaning with the description of the temple. For now, we say, let our prayers replace our sacrifices. The Yiddish word for prayer, daven, derives from the French devant, before, as in dalifne mi ataomed, know before who you stand. As a child learns to walk by walking regularly, so do we learn to pray by praying on a regular basis. The answer to the question why pray is clear. We have an obligation to pray. It's a mitzvah just like any other. The Rambam maintains that there are positive Torah commandments to pray daily. Rambam further states that there is an additional mitzvah to pray in times of trouble. The Ramban, as well, agrees that prayer is a mitzvah. All by rabbinic in nature, the man, among others, also holds that tefillah into a Torah mitzvah. What is the purpose of prayer? If we look at prayer just as a conduit to fulfill our needs, we might just be disappointed if our requests are not granted, which is what happens very often. Worse yet, such a letdown might lead to a lukewarm and half-hearted approach to prayer. Understanding the proper character of prayer is the greatest is the, ga- is the gateway to the mitzvah of tefillah. Fulfilling a Torah mitzvah is reward in itself, as well as we shall see further in this book. Our tefillah has honed in the Shemone Esrei begins with praises of Hashem. Only then do we implore Him for our various needs. We conclude by thanking Him for all He has given us. By asking Hashem to fulfill our wishes for health, peace, material, and spiritual support, we acknowledge that He, only He, we acknowledge that only He has the power to grant our requests. Still, if despite passionate prayer and recitation of psalm, our prayers are not answered, we must continue to pray. The pain is real, the confusion of disillusionment are tangible. Yet, if we view the mitzvah of praying as a building block for our, our share in olam haba, world to come, we will find ourselves praying with even more kavanah. God works in mysterious ways. Our unanswered prayers to us prayed may yet be answered. Perhaps another, number, another member of our family may be spared from illness or some other unanticipated unanticipated gift may be granted to us. Despite possible disappointment or frustration, our prayers were not a waste of time. Time and again, we see the heart stories, we see, we see and hear stories about the remarkable domino effect of prayer with Kavana. We will never be disappointed if we look at prayer not as means of changing God's decree, but as a mechanism for acknowledging our absolute reliance in His will and His compassion. Recitation of the fixed Hebrew text may not be spontaneous in a spontaneous activity, especially if one does not understand the meaning of the words. Yet, the daily repetition of the sacred phrases engenders spiritual sensations, perhaps even vibrations of the soul, bringing us closer to Hashem. The starting point of amongst all Jewish prayer is praise of Hashem. The prayer recognizes the hand of Hashem in the matters of life and death. Prayer is a sincere and distinctive act of connecting with one's maker. There are times in one's life 
when from turmoil or joy one wants to be close to Hashem, prayer can bring about that affinity. As the prophet Hosea expressed in his wish to be near to Hashem, in the distress they will seek me. For thinking, for the thinking Jew, a meaningful existence is a reflective admission of one's reliance on Hashem. While a discussion about fundamental Jewish beliefs is beyond the scope of this book, it is important to understand why we pray. Prayer is the essence and soul of man's relationship with Hashem. Prayer itself is a means of purifying the heart. It evokes the man who prays a profound recognition of the dependence of the blessed creator. By his prayer, man shows that, the, that he needs God and exists and, and no existence and has no existence. By his prayer, man shows that he needs Hashem and has no existence without him. Evolution of Jewish prayer. As mentioned above, prayer has been part of the human existence since the Garden of Eden. There are perhaps 85 prayers in the Torah, apart from 150 psalim. But such liturgical statistics depend on the definition given to prayer. The nature of prayer has evolved over time. Biblical prayer was basically an uncomplicated reflex action by man whose innermost beings was always mindful of Hashem's presence. The rabbi call it the service of the heart. Our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, called upon Hashem, who was always near in a very familiar, spontaneous manner. With the passage of time, the natural impulse or tendency to invoke Hashem's name gave way to supplication. Prayer now, prayer was now triggered by a, a host of human emotions. Hashem's presence seemed more distant. Man began entreating God to provide sustenance, recover for recovery from illness, and security from enemies. Prayer became a vehicle for approaching the Almighty Hashem as life became more complex and man sought up help to cope with uncertainties of life, to fulfill expectations, dreams, and yearnings. Today's prayer service developed from an original sacrificial temple ritual in Jerusalem, but even at the time, prayer was a fundamental facet of Jewish life. In both the first and second temples, Gohanim recited a fixed priests recited a fixed series of short liturgical benedictions. The Ten Commandments and the priestly blessings, Levi'im, Levitical priests, sang praises to Hashem from the Book of Salim, and Israelites who gathered in the courtyard to watch the proceedings were routinely moved with hearts, bowing down, singing, and more. After the second temple was destroyed, the synagogue replaced the Beit HaMikdash as the central venue of public Jewish worship. The sages of the Mishnah developed a system of fixed prayer, text, and times to correspond to the sacrificial service in the temple. They sacrificed the six-word fixed introductory blessing, and in doing they re and in so doing, they realized two decisive aims. Not only did they devise an innovative framework for prayer, but they enabled all strata of Jewish society, regardless of levels of, of learning and sophistication, to recite virtually the same textual context. context. The uniqueness of this approach, set in the turbulence that followed the destruction of the temple, substituted fixed prayer for both the temple sacrifices and spontaneity. And provided a context for all Jews to share an established pattern shared by other Jews. What their approach lacked is spontaneity. Lacked in spontaneity was made up 
and fluency of communication. But one look around the synagogue will confirm that there appears to be a wide gap between experiences of our sages called the Avodah Shabalev and the reality of set prayer and texts at times. No mel, no men clatter. The Hebrew word must often be used to denote prayer is tefillah. It is inferred from the root of the word, which means to judge oneself, i.e. intercession and self-scrutiny. There are at least seven names for prayers, tefillah, tehillah, bakasha, tchina, hoda'a, vidui, bracha. Prayer, according to the rabbis, is called the ten different expressions. The Tanakh is replete term is replete with terms for prayer. Four other verbs are often used to describe communication with Hashem. Zameru, Edu, Hodu, and Halelu. Chapter two Fixed Prayers Keva versus Kavana. Still, some may find that reciting of the fixed Hebrew text actually stands in the way of communicating with Hashem, especially if one does not understand the meaning of the words. And many people who can read and understand the prayer book remain vexed by two concepts that seem to operate in contrast to another. On one hand, we are required to open our hearts to Hashem, to stand before Him and to pour out our deepest recesses of our soul. We must ask forgiveness for our sins, celebrate the goodness Hashem has bestowed upon us, ask for His help to overcome individual shortcomings, and to provide for our physical and spiritual needs. We sharply all sharply individual in nature. At the same time, our sages established fixed times and texts for prayer. In Hebrew, this is called keva, our fixed prayer. We are told how to praise Hashem via a set list of psalim presented with a list of 19 blessings, covering a range of topics from health to finance to salvation and more. After we eat, we must thank Hashem for the land of Israel, even if we have never set foot there. And on Tisha B'Av, it's a sad day on which we mark the destruction of the first and second temples. We are instructed to destroy liturgical jurgis composed by other people and are expected to feel sorrow from those words. Above all, Jewish law requires men to pray three times daily regarding of personal feelings or desire to do so. The seeming contradiction is especially difficult in light of two facts. One, the all-knowing Hashem is fully aware of the desires and needs of all people. And two... This seems contradicting. This seems contradiction. This seeming contradiction is especially difficult in light of two facts. One, the all-knowing Hashem is fully aware of the desires and needs of all people. And two, the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur liturgy says that Hashem's decisions for the entire year and those solemn days. Sorry. And two, the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur literally says, Hashem makes decisions for the entire year on those solemn days. So why pray the rest of the year if Hashem knows what we want and need? And in any event, He made decisions about life and death when He sealed the Book of Life at the end of last Yom Kippur. The answer to this dilemma is that the Jewish concept of prayer is focused on the supplicant, not Hashem. The Hebrew word kavana is usually translated as concentration, but the word implies much more. When we pray, we recognize our dependence on Hashem and are suitably humbled. This exercise in humility is a central component to developing the discipline 
and desire to fulfill Hashem's commandments, thus becoming the people God wants us to become. Prayer transforms the essential character and personality of the supplicant. The point is not to include, to induce Hashem to fill a rabbinically ordained wish list. In part, this can be achieved by becoming familiar with the prayer book and by studying the text of the prayers. Familiarity with the words of the Shema, morning blessings, the Amidah, and other commonly recited prayers will help transform the experience of prayer from a frustrating exercise of struggle with unfamiliar Hebrew words to fulfilling opportunity both to connect with the Jewish history and also to approach Hashem in a logical, organized framework. But it is important to remember that prayer is essentially an emotional, not all intellectual experience. Kavanah for prayer is not a form of Talmud Torah, writes Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. Nor is it any sort of textual analysis. All of these things can add an important meaning to our prayers, but they're just minor side issues when it comes to the essential activity of prayer. They're they are not kavana. Rather, kavana begins and ends with the baruch atah, with the basic realization that the words I am saying are addressed to Hashem Himself, baruch atah, that I really mean what I say to Him, and that He listens and responds. Prayer is nothing if it is not communication, a real conversation with the very Creator of the world, who is involved in our daily lives of men and listens to their words when they call to Him in truth, with sincerity. Jews have grappled with the question of prayer and recitation for almost from time almost from time immemorial. How can mere reading of words be effective and what is the response of those who have been reciting the text of the cedar for long periods without any noticeable result? The Maharal, the Maharal responds to this first question. Even if recitation is sufficient, it must be with concentration, intention, and understanding. This is hinted by the wrapping of the talit over one's head. The talit signifies concentration and banishment of outside distractions. The second question has been addressed in chapter number one, Concept of Prayer. Throughout the centuries, our sages have dealt with conflict between Keva and Kavanah many times. In both halachic and philosophical frameworks, our prevailing approach is to use the words of prayer book to inspire feelings of Kavanah. For instance, when reciting the words Ozev Dalim and the blessing following the morning recitation of Shema, the 19th century Rabbi Cham Mordechai Margolis suggests imploring Hashem the way a poor person asks for charity. Another interpretation of Rabbi Margolis' idea might be that just as a poor person has nothing when compared to a wealthy landowner, for example, so too should we view ourselves as poor versus God. Despite all the myths about good deeds, literally commandments, a person may have racked up in a lifetime, we remain totally dependent on Hashem and must continue to come back to Him on a daily basis to ask for our daily bread. Halacha also provides several mechanisms to develop the ability of prayer with Kavanah. The 17th century Jewish law guide, Shulchan Aruch, literally the set table known as the Code of Jewish Law, cites a custom prevalent among early sages to meditate for one hour 
to meditate for one hour before the beginning of prayer. And the 20th century authority Israel, Meir HaKohen Kagan, the Chavetz Chaim, suggests reciting prayers slowly and with intent so that we can understand the words we are saying and so that the words inspire us to humility and awe and we, as we stand before the king of the kings. So the halacha basically says that there are several mechanisms to develop the ability to pray with kavana. And they say that the 17th century law guide, Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch sets a custom among the early sages. So the Shulchan Aruch talks about how the early sages meditated for one hour before beginning to pray. And then later on in the 20th century, the Chafetz Chaim, Yisrael Meir HaKohen Kagan, suggested reciting the prayers slowly and with intent so that we can understand the words we are saying and so that the words inspire us to humility and awe as we stand before the kings of kings. Maimonides, Rambam, the medieval sage and author of the first compendium, compendiums for Jewish law called the Mishnah Torah, goes so far as to, as to rule that concentration and intention are essential prerequisites for carrying out the mitzvah of prayer. So it's concentration and intention. Kavana and rikuz. Kavana requires a clear understanding of our relationship with Hashem. Some have skewed belief that Hashem resides in some far-off heaven too distant to be concerned about everyday mortal affairs on earth. But King David's perception of Hashem is different. I set God before me at all times, says the psalmist. He is my right hand, I shall not fall there. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch explains that I set Hashem before me at all times means that nothing on this nothing going on sorry means that nothing on earth is so small or insignificant that Hashem would be indifferent to. Whatever I am, whatever I wish to accomplish is wholly in Hashem's hands, and I am a partner in that endeavor. This, then, is the essence of prayer. We approach Hashem because, on one hand, the act of approaching Him makes us humbler, more refined, soldier individuals, but we use the siddur and fixed prayer times because doing so makes the approach familiar and easier and places our prayers in a uniquely Jewish context. Because prayers have a fixed time and text, a Jew is never alone in attempts to approach Hashem. Prayer unites us Jews with Jews everywhere at every time. This idea will be discussed more. How fixed prayers came about. The Jewish concept of prayer developed from the original temple original in Jerusalem. Prior to that time, not too many pe people were capable of articulating, of articulating their feelings effectively. Formal prayers during the temple periods were probably limited to declarations of guilt. When first fruit and tithes were offered, but twice, the twice daily Levitical service in the first and second temples probably drew on the psalm. The Kohanim recited fixed prayers in the pattern, short liturgical benedictions, the recitation of Shema and the Ten Commandments, a few additional benefit, benedictions, and the priestly blessings. Those in the attendance of the Kobanot sacrifices limited their involvement in the service by prostrating themselves and singing Adon Olam, Adon 
Adu Adonai Kitov. Let us give thanks, Hodula Hashem Kitov. Let us give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And a similar expression in yearning. The Mishnah fixed certain prayers prior to the time of the Mishnah. Prayer was actually a spontaneous interaction between man and his Hashem, promptly by some exceptional incident or encounter. The synagogue, as a get-together for communal divine service, seems to have been based on the introduction of the Mishmarot and the Ma'amadot on the onset of the Second Temple period. More than anything else, it was an institution of Mishmarot, a system of representation and rotation of the Kohanim, Levim, and Israelim, which played a key role in developing a fixed prayer, both in terms of timing and liturgy. Development of prayer. The synagogue replaced the Beit HaMikdash after its destruction. The worship services were faithfully patterned after sacrificial services of the temple. In our daily prayers, we recite, May be your will, Lord of Hashem and gods of our fathers. The prayer of our lips will be gathered and accepted by you. If we had offered the daily sacrifices sacrificed according to its appointed time, attended its service, and burnt the incense offering according to its proper time. Fixed communal prayer probably began with the emergence of the synagogue. The fixed wording established by Anshay Knesset Hagdullah enable many more people to express themselves more appropriately. The sixth word, fixed prefatory blessing, blessed you are Hashem, our God, King of the universe, is based on the blessings which appear in Tanakh, but deviate significantly from them. Unlike biblical prayers, which were more of the nature of pronouncements rather than what we define as prayer, this new formulation preserved the closeness of the honest, straightforward approach to Hashem. How did modern Jewish prayer evolve? The Torah does not spell out the blueprint for Jewish prayer. Our sages formulated the conventional blessings from utilizing biblical components. In, do, in so doing, our sages realized two divisive aims. Not only did they devise them an innovative framework for prayer, but they virtually enabled all strata of Jewish society, regardless of the levels of learning and sophistication, to recite the same textual context. A different frame of reference. Does reading from a prepared text in a suitor translate to a spontaneous expression of the essence of a Jew's heart? This does this proposition that seems self-contradictory and possibly absurd express the, the possible truth? Is prayer an inner spiritual service of a request for one's material needs? Is inconsistency this inconsistency reconciled by Rambam's view that spiritual service requires adopting a new and different frame of reference, Baruch Kaplan, in his superb translation and commentary, has to say, On the one hand, the Rambam describes prayer as an inner spiritual service. However, the main body of prayer appears to be very converse, and the request for one's material needs. Nevertheless, precisely this paradox lies in the core of the service of prayer. Generally, a person's conception of his needs revolves around material reality. He knows what he requires, and he views himself as responsible to choose a course of action that will enable him to acquire those things. Thus, his attention concentrates on himself and the environment in which he lives. 
prayer enables a person to step above his worldly experience and contemplate true reality to develop a connection with Hashem and to realize how he controls all aspects of his existence. Accordingly, he is aware that his success is dependent on Hashem's generosity and not on his efforts alone. Thus, requesting one's needs from Hashem, in fact, a spiritual service from which adopting a new and different frame of reference. A sudden impulse to pray. Sometimes an event or encounter occurs which is outside that individual's control. This common sense compels him to pray either suddenly, impulsively, or on a regular basis. Whatever it is that abruptly provoked him to turn to Hashem was a realization that only Hashem has the power to answer his prayers. A man in such position of difficulty, distress, or need will pray with all his heart. He will not utter words mechanically or by rote. He will validate his prayer with all, with all the emotions within him. Distractions will fail to weaken his kavana. Even if we can feel the desire to pray surging regularly from the soul, what prayer would come forth if there were no book of prayers written by the great souls? The Siddul. Praying is a flow and a sway. It evokes sentiment, a way of relating to Hashem, a priority of concerns, an expression, and a mood that is embedded in the soul of the Jew. However, praying cannot be confined to moments of inspiration or desperation, such as praying only when, we, when one is moved by events and feels like praying. Anyone who waits for the mood to strike a visit to the Grand Canyon in magnificent twilight, a baby freshness of a rosy finger dawn, is not a praying person and probably will not be able to pray authentically even when the mood arrives. One needs to domesticate the stimulus to make prayer a natural, comfortable event. A day-to-day -day happening, Jewish prayer is designed to become second nature, a part of a person, a daily diet. In that way, one comes to be comfortable speaking terms with Hashem, one who in turn becomes accessible almost a conversational partner. Private versus communal prayer. Collectivism in beseeched God. Praying is strictly an individual matter and at the same time a universal and common to all mankind. When Jews suffer or are prosecuted, we all feel their pain. Our hearts, goes out to, our hearts go out to them. Jews from around the world rally behind them during the time of crisis, whether they're religiously observant or not. We are tied to each other by the, our Torah. We defy classification by race, ethnic, or cultural grouping. We, the descendants of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, are a nation. It is true that almost half of our brethren live in a territorial and political entity called Israel, but those Jews living in the Holy Land together with the rest of the diaspora are part of something bigger. A, more, a, a most extraordinary realm, the ancient, the yet living nation of Israel, a nation symbolized by an extended family of people who share a, collecti a collective history, a shared fate, and an answer and an awareness that we are all in some way linked to each other. Not only do we Jews share common thoughts, lineage, and traditions, but we celebrate a range of our dissimilarity. It is difficult to explain, yet through the ages, we have all sensed the feeling of kingship, of connectedness to people who are strangers, yet part of vast of extended family. When a Jew prays, he feels primarily for the he feels 
He prays primarily for the mutual benefit of all Jews. This concept of collectivism is beseeched Hashem on behalf of a communal as a whole can be traced back to the earliest of times. We Jews are intrinsically linked to the Jewish community and bonded by Hashem's covenant with all the past generations of Jews and by the Jewish communities yet to follow. Communal prayer were often triggered by an emergency, a troubling predicament, or an impending calamity affecting a fellow Jews. At time of crisis, an epidemic brought famine, approaching hostilities, or other afflictions that struck the community Jews came together to entreat Hashem's imploring him to relieve them from their suffering and help them overcome their misfortune, not that private petitions are prohibited. It's just that our sages deemed collective prayers to be nobler and more effective in eliciting Hashem's favor both for the individual as well as for the community. Pattern and design of Siddur prayers. The prayer of the Siddur were intentionally composed, composed to reflect the needs and aspirations of the community, much more than a private individual. The terminology and expressions of the Siddur are designed to bring the public's petitions, confessions, hopes, aspirations, adorations, and thankfulness to Hashem. The individual crying out to Hashem understands that he is but one component of the entirety of Jewish community. Though he recognizes with conviction that Hashem exists, hears and answers, and that Hashem is a personal deity, the individual prayers are nevertheless recited on behalf of the Jewish community. The Sidul level leveled by praying field, so even unlearned person could the Sidul leveled was leveled the playing field so that even an unlearned person could petition Hashem with phraseology of a keen mind and a perceptive heart. Such was the creative genius of Ansheikhness Dagdullah who crafted the Shemirat Shmona Esrei, that a quintessential silent devotion recited thrice daily by Jews for countless generations past. Our sages thought that one who solicits mercy for his fellow while he himself is in need of the same thing will be answered first. A man should not only pray for himself, but should also think of others, using the plural for grant us rather than a singular for grant me. A Jew's responsibility for his fellow Jew underlies the tenor of communal prayer. The morality of focusing on one prayers on the needs of other Jews rather than praying primarily for one's own needs, is obvious. Not only does God hearken to the pleadings of such a worthy person, but the act elevates both the prayer and the one who prays, the prayer. Community prayer and merging individual invocations. In addition to structuring prayers in a plural, rabbinic prayer and underlying underlined the importance of tefillah b'tzibur, prayer and a minion a quorum of 10 adult males. The halacha goes even further. If one is unable to recite his prayers with a congregation, he should, as a minimum, pray at the same time as they do. In biblical times, we note from the Torah rather isolated instances where the nation prays as one for Hashem's salvation or notable persons praying on behalf of the Jewish community. The rabbis configured prayer so that each individual prayer is identical to the fellow prayer. And those prayers petition Hashem to fulfill the wishes of the entire Jewish nation. This concept lies in the hearts of nearly all the rabbinical laws, rules for prayer, number, content, and time. But more than that, the subject matter is fixed in rabbinical prayer. A Jew praying directs his plea to Hashem not so much as an individual, but as a limb of the Jewish national body. Everybody, 
Every Jew praying for Masidur Machzor follows a fixed text. The petitions, confessions, praise, thanksgiving all use the same language. The format and pattern of prayer to God are virtually identical. Each blessing has a premise. Halacha mandates that a specific number of blessings on this set topic be recited daily. Using the fixed prayer and the sedr tefillah in the siddur, each and every Jew asks Hashem to grant the entire nation sustenance, understanding, mercy, physical well-being, success, salvation, and etc. The net effect is the merging of all these individual advocations for aid, protection, inspiration, act, etc., into one collective plea to one Hashem, Israel's king, for the benefit of all his people. Chapter 3, Kavana. The synagogue experience. Walk into almost any American synagogue on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur for an increasing number of people. Their once-a-year synagogue happening is at its best of a social gathering and worst boring interruption to their otherwise meaningful life. Instead of a evocative and far-reaching spiritual experience, they feel compelled by inexplicable forces to endure long hours of chanting by a chazan in a language they do not understand and whose operatic and at times theatrical performance fails to stimulate these bored once or twice a year worshippers resort to chatting with their equally turned off seatmates. Instead of the synagogue experience being a hollow chore, it would be a momentous and consequential transformation. It could be a momentous and consequential transformation. Mastering the art and mechanics of prayer can empower a person. The root of the word fila is self-discovery. But meaningful prayer can also open a channel between man and his creator. This journey towards God will pave the way for our love of Hashem and appreciation for all the good that he has bestowed upon us. Single-minded concentration in the most vital prayer, the Shemona Yisrei, will, with time and repetition, enable some of us to rise above our mundane physical world to a higher spiritual plane. That voyage may be the most exhilarating and self-fulfilling activity of one's life. Immersion in prayer enables one to focus on Hashem and to fulfill His presence. It takes more than just concentration to arrive at such a spiritual plane. It entails total absorption and the purging of extraneous thoughts and feelings until only the essence of a person begins, uh, on, until only the essence of a person beings remain. Praying with commitment and devotion requires an understanding of the meaning of the words and thoughts expressed in the Siddur. Mastering the techniques and mechanics of prayer will enable a Jew to bond closer to his maker. The Hebrew word for it is kavana, an intense and sincere communication, communion with Hashem through the media of formal prayer. One of the objectives of prayer is to bring about a position a positive change in the individual's emotions, ways of thinking, and behaving. As you read this book, you'll begin to understand why English word for prayer does not truly convey the concept of lehit palel. The Hebrew for pray, the, the Hebrew for to pray, especially as it relates to the Shemona Yisrael, the, the central silent prayer. Prayer is meant to operate. Prayer is meant to operate on the prayer as a way to meditate and judge his innermost beings, innermost being. 
That experience alone, the Rabbi Pinchas Winston, allows prayer, allows prayer to give one's self over to Hashem, or at least make it available. As one person put it, prayer is the time I feel, prayer is the time I peel off the layers of my life that complicate my personality and confuse my emotions. I even imagine myself actually peeling off layers of shtick until all that remains is the essential me. At that point, I find it very easy to focus on Hashem and to feel His presence, which is the highlight of my day. Explaining the concept, but simply, kavana means complete concentration on, put simply, kavana means complete concentration on prayer. But kavana means more than mere concentration. It means grasping the essence of the relationship between you and Hashem. The relationship can only be validated by a deliberate absorption in what is now to become a very powerful experience, engaging both your heart and mind. You will now be addressing Hashem, not your kin or your friends. For this, for it to be truly uplifting experience, this trans, for it to be truly uplifting experience, this transformation, this recognition that you are now linking up with the supreme being, the creator, the ruler of the universe, compels you to be oblivious to your surroundings, to temporarily cast aside all those vexing issues from that real world in which you live. For a short time, you are going to harness these feelings of sorrow, fear, hate, etc., and channel your inspiring emotions towards loving and praising Hashem. It is not a time for reasoning or, reasoning or analyzing. Let your innermost being crave for that ability to converse with God, yearning for that hard-to-reach objective of communication with God requires work, hard work. The mental and emotional concentration is an essential component of prayer. The following story recited, recounted by Rabbi Dr. Avram Tversky encapsulates the essence of Kavana. A man was being escorted to the Kotel, obviously a blind man, guided by others on either side. He was a Sephardic Jew. His sharp, graceful features accentuated the thin, curly earlocks. He approached the kotel and leaned forward to give it an affectionate kiss. He ran his hand over the surface, his super-sensitive fingers feeling centuries of history, glory, and suffering in every cervix of the, and ripple. Then he began a dialogue with God, yet, yes, a dialogue, for although only one voice was audible, he knew that he had a responsive listener. He spoke directly, respectfully, and with great clarity, exactly as if the conversation were with a person. He gestured with his hands to provide a necessary emphasis and description to what his words required. At one point, he abruptly stopped, hesitated a moment, and said, Oh, I'm sorry. I already told you that yesterday. Rabbi Tversky continues, This was a simple and sincere prayer at its best. There are no doubts in this man's mind that he had told Hashem yesterday what he heard, and that there was therefore no reason to repeat it. I turned back to continue reciting the psalm, realizing that I had never really prayed before. Kavanah begins with the end of a basic realization that the words I am saying are addressed to Hashem himself, Baruch Atah, that I really mean what I say to him and that he listens and responds. Prayer is nothing if it is not a communication, a real conversation with the very creator of the world who is involved in the daily lives of men and listens to their words when they call to him in truth with sincerity. 
preparation for prayer. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Even at this late hour, arm yourself with good deeds and penitence. Immersion in a mikveh, a ritual bath before praying, was a custom as Rur started. Although limited at the time of Shaliyah Tzibu in some especially Hasidic communities, the practice has extended to congregants as well. The Talmud describes how the sages dressed for prayer. Rava Barav Huna would don fine footwear and pray because it, it is stated, prayer to meet your God, O Israel. From here it also appears that one should not pray barefoot except on Tisha B'Av or on Yom Kippur when leather shoes are prohibited. The Shulchan Aruch uses this passage as a source of ruling that one should wear a girdle belt during the prayer. The Mishnah Bura offers an additional reason to wear a belt. At a time of sorrow, Rava would cast off his cloak as a sign of humility, lest he appear as a gentleman of status, clasp his hands and pray in a manner of a slave standing in apprehension before his master, clarifying that one must appear during prayer like a servant before his master. At a time of tranquility, he would not only clasp his hands, but also be well-dressed, wearing several layers of nice clothing, a sign of respect for his master. A man who offers up his prayer must direct his eyes to the sanctuary below his heart towards the heavens above. Today, the, sancti the sanctity of prayer dictates that the worshiper prepares himself by means of suitable attire, clean body, and proper frame of mind for the act of prayer. Before praying, one should wash his hands with water. If he had a water available, a laver sink is often positioned just outside the entrance of the synagogue sanctuary for, the purpose, for this purpose. This applies to all prayer of the day. Drying, for the hands, drying of the hands is not required after washing for prayer, but is highly recommended. It is proper to de deposit some coins in the Pushka charity box prior to praying to display our concern for those less fortunate than us. We can then beseech Hashem on our behalf. It is best to pray in a synagogue or Beit Midrash public house of study together with a minion. Where this is not possible, one may pray at home. The sanctity of prayer dictates that indecent objects, semi-clad or unclad persons and animals should not be present in a place of worship, even at home. One should not pray within the sight of an open lavatory. Just as one should strive to pray in the same seat in synagogue, so should one try to have a fixed place at home for praying, at least as far as Shmona is concerned. One is certainly permitted to relocate to avoid distractions. It is best to face a wall when praying at home. Ideally, nothing except furniture should intervene between you and the wall, nor should there be any mirror, pictures, or artwork directly in front of you on the wall. At night, a window reflects like a mirror, so facing it is discouraged. Preferably, one should not recite Shemona Yisrael outdoors. Exceptions include at the Kotel, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, and an outdoor area enclosed by a water fence. It is prohibited to recite any prayer where there is a foul-smelling odor, rotting garbage, human waste, or animal feces. The ban applies even if one cannot see but does, but does, cannot see, but does not smell the offensive waste. Sorry, this ban applies even if one can see but does not smell the offensive waste. There is no such restriction if the waste is enclosed in a plastic bag. It is preferable to close a door to a bathroom even if the absence of foul orders. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzada wrote,
To gain full satisfaction and the fulfillment from prayer, one must first prepare oneself for it by achieving the proper frame of mind. In other words, one should not begin to pray abruptly without his first attuning his mind to reflect upon what it is, what it is one about to do. One should not begin to pray abruptly without first attuning the mind to reflect upon what it is one about to do. The heart must be composed and the mind must contemplate what is about to be done and before whom it is to be done. Once one attains that frame of mind, it becomes easy to avoid dissonant thoughts of disturbing influences and to concentrate one's full attention on praying. Synagogue etiquette directs us to pause at the synagogue door before entering the house of Hashem. Only then would it be proper for us to pour out our heart directly to Hashem with the hope that Hashem will answer us. Keva and Kavana. Through the ages, philosophers tried to balance Keva, the stability and permanence of fixed texts in our prayer book, with Kavana, the spontaneity of a heart. Keva is the fine rote to recitation of prayer. Kavana, as defined by Adin Stein Zaltz, is the understanding and the inner intention of the worshiper regarding the words uttered in prayer or motivation in the performance of the commandments. The concept kavana, says Seth Kaddish, can be explained as directing one's heart or having conscious intent in performing a mitzvah. In relation to a mitzvah of prayer, kavana can more specifically be understood as sincerity or concentrations in one's communications with Hashem. The struggle between these two opposite influences, Kevan and Kavana, is evident to the all seek to all who seek a true understanding of Jewish prayer. However, characterized, these sus- these stances are of opposite polarity, fixity and spontaneity. Standardization and uniqueness, regulation and autonomy, obligation and option, orderliness and eruption of the heart. Over the past 20 centuries, rabbis have struggled with a dialectic that existed with a dialectic that existed between these two conflicting interacting forces, elements, or ideas. On the one side of daily mechanical repetition of prayer, text embedded into one's memory, often without real understanding of its meaning or significance, posed against the the sincere desire to have real conversation with one's maker, creator of one's world, who is concerned about the daily life of every man, woman, and child, and who not only listens to their words when they call to him truthfully and earnestly, but who also answers their prayers. From the, from, the discussion, from the discussion in the Mishnah and the Gemara, it is apparent that the rabbis, though acutely minded of the difficulty with this aspect of prayer, were at the loggerheads of their understanding of what corrected kavanah should be. Almost two millennia ago, the prophet Ishaya condemned those who, with their mouth and with their lips, do honor me, but have removed their heart from me. The Mishnah, 
quotes Rabbi Shimon Maxim, when you pray, you do not make your prayers a fixed tax, but rather supplication before an all-present, because he is gracious and merciful. A barbanel on the Mishnah, cautious against reciting Shema and the Shemona Yisrael, lightly or by saying our prayers mechanically, Rabbi Shimon advocates intensive prayer as the most effective way of avoiding the consequences of Ayin Hara, not dead weight mechanical prayer, but meaningful prayer that has direction and purpose. Rabbi Shimon says, be careful regarding the recitation of Shema and the Tefillah, the Shemona Yisra prayer. And when you pray, you do not make your prayers a fixed tax, but rather supplication before the Omnipresent, because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he changes his mind regarding evil decrees he has already passed. Again, be careful regarding the recitation of Shema and the Tefillah. And when you pray, do not make your prayer fixed tax, but rather supplication before the Omnipresent, because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in his loving kindness, and he changes his mind regarding evil decrees he has already passed. Rabbi Shimon warns us not to sin against God by taking the recitation of the Shema and the Midah. Another name for Shema is like prayers lightly or by saying our prayers mechanically. Balbanel's commenting on the above Mishnah asks, why did Rabbi Shimon choose the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord of Hashem, Lord of One, and the Shemona Yisrael, the 19 benedictions recited in silence as the examples? There are so many prayers in the Jewish liturgy which are expressive and inspiring. Why only these two? Here, Abarbanel gives us a lesson in the philosophy of prayer. It is a common knowledge that most of the authorities agree with the destruction of the temple and the cessation of the sacrifice cult. The Shemona Esrei prayer was instituted to replace the sacrifices. The ancient sacrifices were intended to deflate a man's ego and permeate him with a sense of humility. When he saw the animal being offered up, the sinner was filled with remorse and gratitude because he realized that he should have been destroyed for his transgression instead of the animal. Similarly, Prayer is meant to draw the definite human being closer to infinite Hashem. Here, too, man can approach Hashem uniquely, subdued, and, peni- and penitent. In the case of an animal sacrifice, Hashem is not in need of the animal, but rather required a sign of repentance on the part of the sinner. Similarly, God does not need our prayers. He only wants them as a symbol of our modesty and humbleness before Him. That prayer is, par- is largely rote and mechanical, is not a new development. The perplexity is centuries old. To be candid, too often prayer is more than a perfunctory recitation, perfunctory recitation on a prepared text. The challenge facing us is how to reconcentrate that sense of spontaneity, has how to recreate the sense of spontaneity which mark the true religious devotion. There are no fi- quick fixes or res- resolutions. Within the realm of orthodoxy, there have been and continue to be efforts to stimulate the influence of stimulate. Within the realm of orthodoxy, there have been and continue to be efforts to stimulate the influence of spontaneity by song, Hasidic niguni melodies, mystic mysticism, poetry, and meditation. Surely, if one's mind wanders while he is praying and he thinks about business, sports, the stock market, or the like, 
and the words that he utters to God, either by heart or by reading to the text, are hollow and purposeless. No amount of shakalim, shokaling, swaying, or the practice of covering one's head with a tali or similar conduct will suggest meaningful prayer. How many of us have fallen into the, gap, into the trap of letting our prayers become simply a routine, a thoughtless mouthing of words from a text, or worse, the heart by heart? This token activity is the name of prayer tends to stifle any spontaneity. This token activity in the name of prayer tends to stifle any spontaneity, let alone be described as meaningful prayer. Focusing on two fundamental prayers, the Shema and the Shema Yisrael, Rabbanel underlies the cardinal importance, necessity, and obligation of one who prays to do so with great earnestness. To pray by rote without close mental attention is fershical. Abarbanel compares it to the chirping of birds, sounds not representative of any mental or emotional process. There is a popular saying in religious literature, prayer without concentration is like a body without a soul. In this light, we can understand why Hashem requires Moshe to ascend Mount Sinai alone to receive the Torah. The purpose was, for, was to free Moshe of any distraction, disturbances, and mental independence, and to give him the opportunity to encapsulate himself in the sublime, heavenly environment. Confronting the challenge, but how is it possible for us to be more ardent, more enthusiastic when faced with such daunting tasks of speed davening urge, urged on by today's fast-paced society? If one tries to keep up with today's typical Orthodox prayer service, then spontaneity, sincerity, and challenge, and the challenge to connect with God are problematical, if not beyond reach. It is as disturbing today as it was the rabbinic thinkers throughout the ages. Is talking to God effortless? Is a straightforward reading of some prepared text the same as conversing with God? Indeed, does prayer have a purpose to one who does not believe that God pays attention to his pleas and responds to his prayers? The earnest Jew grapples with these and many other issues as he searches for solutions to the problem of rote versus meaning in Jewish prayer. The express reading speed of some congregations during prayer service frustrates visitors, newcomers, and even many regular daveners, worshippers. It makes true kavana unattainable and brings daily prayer to the threshold of traversity. The earnest davener finds himself in quandary. He generally wants to connect to God, yet is caught in the flesh and blood speed davening, which runs counter to his innermost feelings. Given the prevailing synagogue ethos, it is doubtful that he will see a solution to his problem in the immediate future. Yet, there are a growing number of synagogues who have succeeded to create an environment where meaningful prayers can be recited without one's eye on the clock. We live in a fast-paced world where even a commotion with God judged by elapsed time rather than the essence of the relationship. Are we to permit the clocks to influence this and establish the fundamental nature of man's relationship with his maker? The habit of speed davening erodes a real meaning of prayer. As noted above, speed davening is not compatible with kavana. In commenting on the Shulchan Aruch's advice, not to, in commenting on the Shulchan Aruch's advice not to recite psukei de zimra versus songs from Baruch Shamar and Ishtabach rapidly. But at leisure, the Mishnah Berurah urges that to avoid skipping any word or swallowing words. On the contrary, one should extract the words from his mouth as if one would be counting money. There can be no halachic justification for any form of speed davening. 
those who do so may not be saying all the words, or what are, or what they are muttering comes out as mumbling mum, mishmash of garbled, incoherent noise, certainly not distinguishable as Hebrew words. Regrettably, speed davening degenerates with time as the words are memorized. No longer reading the words, one falls into habit of scanning the page, mumbling a sing-song as he zooms along. How to make davening more meaningful within the constraint of time and one's ability to concentrate, it is increasingly difficult to avoid speed davening. Is one's obligation to pray fulfilled by saying every single word in the sitter? Plainly, there are prayer sections which are more important than others. There are sections which may be skipped, especially for latecomers or those who feel stressed out by the enormous volume of Hebrew words facing them. There is a mistaken idea that every word must be said regularly, regardless of priority. Elsewhere, we said that tefillah betzibur has precedence in many cases. Hence, it is absolutely permissible to skip certain sections in order to recite Shemona Yisrael with the Chazan. On the other hand, the notion of measuring the qualification of a good davener by how long it takes him to finish his prayers is warped. One who prays in an unhurried and measured pace has a better chance at achieving kavana. There is no correct pace of praying. An average worshiper should be able to pronounce all the words. While one fulfills the mitzvah even through some words, or even though some words are slurred, it is best not to garble words or run them together. In addition, those serious about prayer should set aside a time after and before services to learn the simple meaning of the Hebrew words. Excellent translations are available. Additionally, one should use a good quality siddur with a clear type, such as art scroll or the metsuda linear siddur. Another issue concerns the shalich sibur, who mispronounces or even skips words. So this may be the case where a mourner is leading the prayers. The chazan or shalich sibur should be cautioned against charging through the prayers with lightning speed. His speed may, God forbid, prevent the congregants from fulfilling their prayer obligations. In the desperate attempt to keep up with him, they may not only forfeit their kavana, but may end up slurring and mispronouncing words. The rabbi or gabai sextant should tactfully approach such a shaliach tibur explaining to him that as a representative of the entire congregation he has an obligation to pronounce each word carefully. Obviously this might be done in such a way that as not to offend or attack his dignity. The last thing we should want is to alienate him. On the contrary, we should make every effort to draw him closer to the synagogue. Perhaps the rabbi would talk about the importance of clear recitation of the prayers at his next sermon. A last word. Rabbi Morris Lam, in his essay, Day-to-Day -Day Judaism, prayer considered, considers prayer to be an art. Prayer is an art, yet it can be learned. It acquires the mechanical skill of reading, although the words may not be understood, and the spiritual attitude of a willing heart, a sympathetic mind, and an authentic desire to succeed. If pursued with diligence, the result will be well with the effort invested. Just as a person must practice the learned language to gain and retain fluency, just as an athlete and musician must rehearse daily, rigorously to perform smoothly, so must the Jew pray regularly in order to do so effectively. Part B, Mechanics of Prayer.
Chapter A, the Siddur and Language of Prayer, Introduction. Jewish prayer services have developed continuously for more than 2,000 years, as which communities have risen and fallen in countries around the world. After Jews were exiled from Israel by the Romans in 70 CE, diversion customs appeared among newly established Jewish communities around the world, including varied prayer rites. While the main outline of the synagogue service gained a wide usage of a across the Jewish world as an early 2nd century CE, different communities adopted different literal poems, recited different psalms, came to recite their own prayers in different orders, and more. Even the text of certain prayers was changed over time. Prayer rites. Today, there are nearly a dozen prayer rites called Nusachim, Sing, Nusach in Hebrew, is used among Jewish communities from Azerbaijan to Australia, from New York to New Zealand. Historically, prayer rites differ even from community to community within geographical regions. For this reason, traditional prayer books from Poland would have looked slightly different from those in Germany, and both would have differences from the prayer recited in Lithuania and Russia, even though all four locations would, be, would accurately be said to be using Nusach Ashkenaz. A discussion and comparison of all the different prayer books and rites is beyond the scope of this work, but it is important to have basic understanding to the main prayer books in use today in Orthodox synagogues around the world today. Minhag HaMakom. The concept of Minhag HaMakom is relevant today, even though the community traditions are less obligatory obligatory on the individual because the definition of community is today more changeable. One who prays is more than one one who prays in more than one synagogue where the Nusachim are different ought to maintain his paternal liturgy when praying quietly in his place and not acting as a Shaliyah Tibur. If he acts as a Chazan, he should follow the Nusach of the particular synagogue. Description The Sidur or Sedahatvila, meaning the order of prayers, is a, is a compilation of prayers to be recited thrice daily on both weekdays and Shabbats. The, th the three points in time are morning, shacharit, afternoon mincha, and evening mariv. Some sidurim, plural for siddur, include prayers for festivals and even for the days of awe. Most sidurim contain additional prayers as discussed below. The sidur is a compilation of prayers, supplication praises, and thanksgiving poetry called the Torah from the prophets and the writings from the Mishnah. The sidur belongs to all of us, the observant and the non-observant, and the student and the teacher, the parents and the children, just as it was used by countless generations of our ancestors, so will it continue to be used by countless generations of our progeny. Many did not always understand all the words that they were saying, but especially in the past generations, their recitation was at all times heartfelt. This is thrice daily ritual. It was a genuine expression of the faith despite the onerous en environment that surrounded them. The foremost prayer of the day, the Shema Yisrael, also called Amida, was arranged by the men of the Great Assembly, and Sheikh Nesetagdola. This ancient composition is as valid today as it was 2,500 years ago, and the Talmud simply calls it Tefillah, or the prayer. The fervent recitation of these 18 plus 1 benedictions is a man's supreme encounter with his Maker. The spiritual communion of synthesizes praise to Hashem, supplication, petition, gratitude, adoration, and confession. It's there that a Jewish home that does not is there a Jewish home that does not have a siddur? Every Talmud Torah child has been taught to read from the siddur. Retention of what he has learned may be another matter. Every mourner reciting Kaddish has 
undoubtedly struck through the Aramaic text of the prayer in the Siddur. Most Siddurim are to be found than any other religious book in the Jewish world. It has been translated into dozens of languages. Copious commentaries have been composed throughout the ages. Ashkenaz, Sephardic, and other prayer books. In ancient times, Siddurim, that is, books containing the text daily prayers, did not exist. Prayers were recited by heart. Communal prayers were recited by a leader who recited prayers by heart and out loud for all to hear. The congregants filled their obligation by responding amen to his blessings. It was only after the completion of the Talmud that the written prayer books made their appearance. Early Sidurim emerged with the Seder Rav Amran Gaon, 19th century, and a century later the Sidur Saadia Gaon, Mahzor Vitri, which allowed 200 years later was truly which followed 200 years later and was truly a complete prayer book with the texts of all ritual prayer as accepted of the Jewish northern France and parts of Germany included rules and customs pertaining to prayers. So back in the day, they didn't have Sidurim. It was all recited by heart and people would just say Amen. Only after they wrote the Talmud, that's when the prayer books were written and they appeared. Early Sidurim emerged from the Seda Rav Amram Gaon in the 19th century. And then after that, there was another one in the next century, the Sidur Sa'adigon. And then after that, you have the Mahzor, which followed 200 years later. In addition to the many excellent books devoted to the art and meaning of Jewish prayer, both in Hebrew and in English, scores of Sidurim prayer books were published over the years reciting different Persuasions, Ashkenaz, Sephardic, Minhag, Sephardic, Hasidic, Roman Rite, Yemenite, although many contain translations of the Hebrew. Although many contain translations of the Hebrew, too few contain detailed explanations and lack minimal guidance of halachic practice. Styles of prayer books. The Sidur. The Sidur turned out to be the most widely used prayer book. It contains the standard prayer for use on weekdays, Shabbats, festivals, and special days. In addition to the standard of all Hebrew Sidurim, the last few decades have pronounced Sidurim with English and other foreign languages, translations, transliterations for those who cannot read Hebrew, linear translations, Mitsuda, and more. Some are limited on weekday prayers. Others have prayers for the Shabbat as well as weekdays. Still others include prayer for festivals, Sukkot, Shavuot, and Pesach. The last group is called Sidur Shalem, complete Sidur, Tachinot, written mainly for women. This version of the Sidur consists of supplifications in Yiddish. Many were composed by women who published as part of the standard Sidur or as standalone edition. Eastern European women, unfamiliar with Hebrew, found it in this type of Sidur, a companion book, which enabled them to pour out their hearts to Hashem, pleading, praising, and thanking, Hash- thanking God. Typically recited privately, these supplications gave vent to the troubles and tribulations affecting their daily lives and life cycles. The Tchinot clarification clarified women's mitzvot, taking challah, lighting Shabbat and holiday candles, family purity, pregnancy, giving birth, and other life cycle events. The genre of the Siddur invokes the memory of the matriarchs, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, and other holy women, in the same manner that the tradition prayers call the patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. The Tchinot enabled Jewish women to articulate their feelings and devotion in in very emotive, emotive ways in Yiddish.
their everyday language. Our grandmother's recitation of these simplifications invariably in the privacy of their kitchen evoked the aura of piety and stainless and saintliness. Drenched with tears, the integrity of pleadings brought to mind the unconditional purity of the faith. There was no need for ostentatious religious fervor. There was no pretension behind these recitations. Those tears and those moving lips spoke volumes. Other types of prayer books include the Machzol, consists of festival prayers and Torah reaching, usually a separate book for each festival. The Rosh Hashanah Machzor for the New Year, the Yom Kippur Machzor for the Day Atonement. Slichot, primarily used for the day preceding Rosh Hashanah. The Fast of Gedalia, the days of penance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The various halachic fast days and other memorial days, Kinot and prayers, Taniot and Tisha B'Av, Ninth of Av. In the past years, and even today, in some communities, the following types of prayer books are widely used. The Kolbo, also called Hamachzol Agadol, which includes all the prayers of the years, weekly Shabbos festivals and special days, and then incorporate halachic rules to follow. Sidur Shalem, the complete Siddur, in the sense that it includes Yetzirah and the special Shabbat, Hoshanah, Slichot, and the fast days, Marif prayers for evening, which precedes festivals, the entire book of Psalm, and other prayers. Hebrew, the language of prayer. A major question facing many newcomers relates to Hebrew as a language of prayer. Many people have difficulty reading the new alphabet, and many non-Israelis who can read the Hebrew letters with some degree of fluency do not understand the meaning of the words they are reading. Those who have not been fortunate enough to learn our holy tongue may, until they become more familiar with Hebrew, pray in any language that they understand. To validate the concepts of tefillah, prayer must speak both to the heart and the mind. Reciting the words does not understand. Reciting one's words one cannot understand cannot achieve the, that goal. Unfortunately, there's a number of excellent, fortunately, there's a number of excellent Sidurian prayer books whose translations are invaluable. There is more to actual, there is more to actual praying than just mouthing the words, even to those who understand Hebrew. If one is to truly commune with the Creator, he or she must understand the prayers they are saying. Shulchan Aruch, the main arbiter of Jewish law, rules that one may pray in a language one understands. Then again, at least one commentary of the Shulchan Aruch questions the intent of someone who prays in a language other than Hebrew. If one does not understand Hebrew, it is better for him to pray in a language he understands. If he, if he fears heaven and does not and does so because he wishes to pray with application, says Be'yur Halacha, written by the 20th century Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, also known as the Chafetz Chaim. Still, Hebrew is a central ingredient to Jewish prayer. The Torah, Prophets, and other sacred writings are all written in Hebrew, and preserving Hebrew as our mode of communicating with God reinforces our covenant with the Creator on a daily basis. The Midrash even teaches that Jews deserve to be liberated from Egypt because they kept the The Mishnah even teaches that the Jews deserved to be liberated from Egypt because they kept the holy language intact and did not cast off nor change their Hebrew language. And the Be'ur HaLacha comment cited above ends with the words, Otherwise, he should pray in Hebrew, which is the language that Hashem used when he created the world and when he spoke to the prophets and, and has special holy powers. The widespread lack of Hebrew knowledge is not a new phenomenon. 
and our sages have addressed the issue many times over the centuries. As early as the 4th century, prayers were transcribed into the vernacular in the effort to encourage those who were not familiar with Hebrew to pray. The attempts proved to be a failure. More recently, in the 19th century, German rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch advocated teaching the Hebrew language to a child from a very early age, permitted those who did not know Hebrew to use an authentic translation of the prayer book into a language they understood, but he cautioned against any wide-ranging use of any language but Hebrew for praying. Modern writers, such as Rabbi Avraham Khan, also strongly encouraged the continued use of Hebrew for prayer saying the meaning and, fl and flavor cannot be accurately conveyed in another language. Some things, some words cannot be replaced in English. The Hebrew language is one of the strongest links binding together Jews all over the world into one unit, at least in the synagogue, writes Khan. Moreover, the Jewish spirit is expressed not only in deeds but also in the Hebrew language. The sages praise the Jewish people by remaining true to their language. Taking his point further, Khan quotes an anonymous 18th century sage who wrote, Anyone opposed to perversing the Hebrew language denies the historical basis of our religion. The aims at distorting instead of perpetuating historical tradition Judaism as we know it. One important note about Ashkenaz and Sephardic Hebrew, traditional pronunciations of Hebrew fall into three major groups, Ashkenaz, Sephardic, and Yemenite. Not surprisingly, the scattering of Jews across many different countries through the sages has brought about a variety of dialects, and while written Hebrew vocabulary and grammar has remained unchanged throughout the years, the phonology and pronunciation differ appreciably. The most dramatic split between Ashkenazim and Sephardi Hebrew is the pronunciation of the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which Ashkenazi communities pronounce Sov and Sephardic congregations pronounce Tav before the Holocaust. Before the Holocaust, all Jewish, Jewish communities in Europe and Russia prayed in Ashkenazic manner. But since the establishment of the State of Israel, the Sephardic pronunciations, not to be confused with Sephardic ritual and prayer, has become more universal. Both Ashkenazic and Sephardic Hebrew pronunciations are correct. <laughs>